gently git. I heard a copy calling. Hello and welcome to the Cop Table Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Phillips, co-hosting tonight with myself is Peter Collis. How are you, P? You looking forward to tonight's show? I am, mate, yeah. Looking forward to it, pal. Good stuff. On tonight's show, we have Gary Hayes. Gary is a freelance journalist covering Chelsea for the Bleacher Report UK, 442 magazine. Gary is also a regular guest on the Chels podcast and recently published a book on the career of John Terry. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thanks for having me on, guys. You're very welcome, pal. Okay. Tonight's Liverpool guest, we have a familiar one for our, for our listeners. We have Jay Riley. Jay is a regular on the Red Men TV. He also writes for the Liverpool Echo is a, and is also a regular on the Radio City Talks Fan Friday show. So welcome back to the cop table, Jay. Hello, lads. You okay? Hello, yes. Jay. Yeah, very well. Thanks, Jay. Good to have you back on. Okay, what we're going to do, we're going to start off with, with yourself, Gary. This season, obviously, Chelsea's made a good start to the season. What's the difference between... Um, Antonio Conte's Chelsea compared to the Jose Mourinho's Chelsea from last season? Well, I think first and foremost, they're fit. So uh, when Klopp's players are, are playing that press, they're going to be able to um, cope with it a bit better than they did last season when, when Liverpool beat Chelsea fairly comprehensively, wasn't it, on, on Halloween uh, last year. So I think, I think they're a lot fitter. They're a lot more organised. I think because of that, the players just feel a lot more confident. You can see it by the way they're playing. Do you, do you think it's just to- totally down to the manager itself, or do you think it's, it's been a change in the in the mentality of the players as well? Obviously, Diego Costa's one whose whose form has had a complete U-turn, hasn't it, from last season? So, do you, do you think that's down to the manager, or is it down to the players and their attitude? I think first and foremost, the manager deserves a, a lot of that credit because it's, it's him who's come in and and introduced this this new regime, as it were. But I think uh, it's just the, the club as a whole. You know, the problems that Chelsea had last year were very well documented anyway, but I think it was a collective failing from, from top to bottom, from the boardroom through to the players. They really paid the price for it. There was, there was a lot of mistakes made in the, in the transfer window where they, um, tried to strong arm Everton way too late in the transfer window for John Stones and they didn't really get the players they wanted. The, the players came back too late. They didn't have enough strength and depth. Then Mourinho seemed to, to lose the plot a bit with, with the way he was thinking and then the fights he started picking. I think, you know, collectively last season was just the perfect storm in the way that the club failed, you know, collectively. But um, I think now that, you know, I think Gus Hiddink deserves some credit as well for the way that he steadied it. But, yeah, certainly, I think you look at the early days of what we've got here with Chelsea is that, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's down to Conte. He, he's the one getting the players, uh, you know, in tune and trying to play the way he wants to play football. So far, it's working. It's, it's looking a lot more positive than it did in May. Yeah, I totally agree with you, especially from, from like the fact that you say about Jose Mourinho, where where he was picking fights and basically he was making a rod for his own back, wasn't he? And uh, at times it looked like he wanted the sack. So obviously it yeah. turned out with Hiddink and uh, he, like you say, he steadied the ship and, and Conte's now come in and um, took it to the next level by the looks of things. Yeah, I, th- I think the issue with um, with Mourinho is that he's still well regarded in, um, in, in West London at Stamford Bridge, but... Yeah, not, not not comparing them in terms of like for like, in terms of what they were as managers, but he is to Chelsea fans what Bill Shankly is to Liverpool, and um, you know he, he's always going to be well regarded there, you know, despite how bad it went at the end. But what happened at Chelsea last season? Mourinho wasn't the right manager for it. He, he, he's a manager that thrives on conflict, but when the club's failing collectively, like it was, you need someone who's going to be a, be a bit calmer in those situations. And there's a lot of the time when when Mourinho's feeding feeding the beast just because of his own character, whereas. I think had he been able to go away and come back and everything calmed down, 
I think you'd be seeing what we are now from Chelsea under Mourinho. But um, yeah, I think that you know certainly you know Conte is a, is a step up from what Chelsea were doing in May at least. Excellent. Cheers for your thoughts on that, Gary. Go on then, pay over to Jay. All right, Jay. Uh, yeah, I just want to ask uh, what your views were on Liverpool's performance with Leicester on Saturday. Yeah, I thought it was exceptional by Liverpool. Leicester are the champions at the end of the day and they came to Anfield and they've got a bit of a threat, haven't they, with Mahrez and Vardy. And I was a little bit fearful of their pace more than anything else on the break because if you look back to last season, really, they soaked up a lot of pressure in a lot of games, didn't they, and worked hard. And, you know, they were missing games 1-0 towards the end of the season and I feared something could you know, could have been similar happening against us. But Liverpool just, you know, they were fantastic, weren't they? Some of the football was amazing and, they just couldn't live with us, really. And, um, you know, some of the movements off the ball, just a joy to watch, really, at times. And I think that one of the most crucial players is what a sign and sad the old man has been. You know, yeah. it's, his, it's his raw pace, isn't it? He's just unbelievable, really. Yeah. And teams just can't cope with him at the moment. And the thing is, as well, he's not just all about pace. He's got this football and brain as well. So he links play really well and he can pick a passes as well. So, you know, it was outstanding, really, and it could have been five or six, couldn't it? You know, four-one sort of like flattered Leicester, and I know we only scored one at the very end, but I thought Liverpool were totally dominant. And but for the mistake by Lucas, you know, it was a shambles, really, wasn't it? I mean, Leicester didn't really have much much of a spell in the game just after that goal that he scored. I think Mignolet flapped at one, didn't he? A ball into the box, but other than that, Liverpool were in total control, and like I say, the football was remarkable. Yeah, moving on to Friday night, Jay, can you see Klopp starting with Firmino up front or can you see Sturridge getting another go? It's a difficult one because with it being such a very good performance, you'd like to think Klopp would reward the players who played in that game and just keep the same eleven. but it's a difficult one to, to assess really because if Dejan Lovren's back, then you'd automatically think he'd go you know, back into the, into the defence really. It would be a little bit harsh, I suppose, on Lucas, but... You know, we did make a mistake in the game, didn't he? And it cost us a goal. So, you know, you couldn't really have too many complaints if Lovren just went straight back into the sides. Other than that, yeah, you know, as you say up front, he tends to go with Firmino up front because he works hard. And even if you go back to last season, he was Susan Oregy, wasn't he? Over Sturridge as the main man up front. But you'd also say that, you know, you look at Sturridge and I thought his performance was very good against Leicester as well. And he's obviously rising to the challenge because... It's clear to see that Klopp doesn't think he can play that role alone up front and he has got other options. But let's be honest, Daniel Sturridge is a very good footballer. He's unfortunate not to score a couple of times into Leicester. And that, that back heel into the path of Mane was just utter of filth, wasn't it? It was fantastic. <laughs> I think it'll be a bit harsh if he missed out. But, you know, like I say, Emre Chan's back now as well. He's back in training. There's a chance that he might start. But I doubt it because... Henderson and Wijnaldum have been very good together, haven't they? Quietly efficient, really. Both Henderson stepped up in the last couple of games and Wijnaldum's got a couple of assists as well. So, you know, you can't complain at the minute. And, you know, it will be a tough game going to Chelsea, but, you know, let's open play that we can go there and put in a good performance again. Yeah, I think uh, Henderson's last two performances are on par with the season we finished second, aren't they? He's starting to show that form again. Well, yeah, he's been asked to do a role that he's probably, well, he's obviously not used to it. I think yeah. he's played there for England and, and under 21 level as well, but he's never really played there in his Liverpool career so far. But just because now you look at the players that Liverpool have got, the talent that they've got in the attack and third, he's not really needed in the, in the attack and third. And it's a little bit like James Milner, isn't he? You know, Milner's obviously always been a midfielder by trade and he's been asked to play in a role that he's unfamiliar in, playing left back. and. He's, he's adapted quite well. I'm still 
not comfortable with him playing there, but you know he's he's doing okay and he's he's got to learn the role and you know he's a, he's a very good professional, isn't he? He's thirty years of age now and Klopp's obviously trying to put him in that position. Same way now to an extent as I say with Henderson playing a little bit of an unfamiliar role and he's doing quite well as I say the last two performances he's been very good. So let's hope he can carry that on going to the Chelsea game. Spot on, cheers, Jay. Nice one. Yeah, I'd just like to ask you, Jay, staying on the uh, the Daniel. Sturridge topic. Um, Sturridge's movements seemed a lot more more fluid. If you like it against against Leicester, he, he was tracking back as well. And and the first goal came from actually Daniel Sturridge tracking back into the midfield, didn't it, and playing a pass and then moving back up. Do you think his movements improved a lot more the last couple of games under Klopp? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously it's had to, hasn't it? Really, because I think you know it's gone of the days where you can just play up front and not be able to do a multi to the roles, you know, up front in the forward areas. You've got to be able to run the channels. You've got to be able to drop deep. You've got to be able to link play. You know, we all know Daniel Sturridge is, is an absolutely clinical goal scorer. You know, if, if you've got a one-on-one, he's the man that you're back in the whole of our squad to score. But unfortunately, other areas of his game needed to improve, really. And this goes back to last season as well. But it seems that, you know, some of the training that Klopp's obviously putting him through, at Melwoods, it seems to be paying off a little bit and that performance at the weekend there it was very good. So it would be a bit harsh for them to, to miss out and but it's interesting because in them big away games he does tend to prefer playing the one up front rather than I know for me no sort of like didn't play up front with him, but it's like he prefers him to play up there because he's more suited to the pressing game. And as I say last season he was playing Oregon there before he got his injury, so Daniel Sturridge has had a lot to prove and at this moment in time he's doing quite well, isn't he? You know, that performance in Celeste you couldn't knock him for. So I think he would be a little bit harsh on the lad if he did miss out against Chelsea. Yes. But we'll see what happens on come Friday. Excellent. Cheers, Jay. OK, moving back over to yourself, Gary. It looks like John Terry could be out for the for the game on Friday evening. If he is out, how much of a blow is that to uh, to Chelsea and their, their defence? Yeah, they confirmed today, actually, the club that he's definitely out. He's out for about 10 days, so he's going to be a big doubt for the, the Arsenal game, which is on, on the back of facing Liverpool. So that's two massive games that he's definitely missing one of. I think, you know, it's John Terry, isn't it? He's still Chelsea's best defender, you know, despite the fact that he's 35 and there's a debate to be had whether, you know, whether he's the best English defender as well, you know, in the Premier League. Obviously, that's for another occasion, but... I think it's it's a big miss for Chelsea. He's the captain there. He's the leader, and um, although Conte isn't necessarily building around him, he's lent on lent on him a lot this season in the early games. And um, I think you know just just not having him in the team and having to introduce David Luiz now on a you know a Friday night game, a massive game against Liverpool. We all know you know what these games are like when when both sides come together. So. It's not ideal, but I guess the beauty of Chelsea's failures last season is that they haven't got any European football this year. So Conte will be drilling them on the training ground, and the fact that the Terry's out injured, and he knows he's injured, means that he's going to be you know working on that Cahill and and Luiz partnership that that won Chelsea the Champions League in 2012. Just a quick one, Gary, touching on David Luiz. Were you happy with their re-signing of him? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that um, you know, obviously, we, we all know what he's like in terms of being erratic, but. It's 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 a transfer that I think works on a, a couple of different levels. I think firstly that Chelsea we saw all summer the players that they were going for like Koulibaly and that they're being you know quoted sixty million from them and they didn't want to be paying that much for a defender and you know paying north of forty. You know, so I think that in the market they were operating in the market they were trying to sign a player for, I think that David Luiz for that price is probably at the top end of what a 
a 30 million pound defender is now in, you know, in 2016. I think, you know, if you go back a few years, 30 million for David Luiz would have been a lot. But I think now that, you know, 30 million is probably good value for money given what some players are going for. I think as well that, um, what happened at Chelsea last year with, with Mourinho going and the way the, you know, the entire club crumbled is that it sort of got diluted about, you know, what, what this Chelsea team was about. And now they've brought a, a bona fide legend of the club back in that, you know, regardless of what he's thought, you know, people think of him outside of, of Chelsea, you know, the fans like him, they relate to him. He, He's bought into this whole geezer culture that he likes to go on about a lot. So um, I think that on the whole, Chelsea fans will be happy with it. I think that you know it improves the uh, the options they got at the back. Ideally, they'd probably have you know have signed a better defender. But in in the grander scheme of things, like I say, for the money they paid for him and the market they were operating in, I think they could have done a lot worse. Yeah, cheers, Gary. Um, staying on the subject of centre half, yeah, yeah. How impressed have you been with Joel Matip? Yeah, he's looked very comfortable on the ball, hasn't he? Very composed. A few people said, didn't he, at first? He looks a little bit slight, though, doesn't he? So that could be an issue when he comes up against big centre-forwards. But um, he seemed to cope all right with Harry Kane and yeah. Janssen, didn't he, when um, when Janssen came on for, for Tottenham the other week. And, you know, it was a different type of scenario against Leicester, playing against someone like Jamie Vardy, who's only slight, but he's very quick and... Okazaki is the type of player who works very hard for the team, so it was a different test for him, but again, he coped very well, and he just seems very elegant on the ball, and people have liked him to a Rio Ferdinand, haven't he? And for Liverpool to get in for, on a free transfer, effectively, it seems like very good business, but you know, like I say, it's in the early days, isn't it? So you can't praise the lad too much, and the interest to see how he, how he reacts when he makes his first ever mistake for the club, because... You know, it's inevitable someone will be somewhere along the lines. And, you know, that that takes a lot of, you know, it just depends how he copes with that type of situation. But, like I say, so far, so good. And to get him on a free, he looks like a 15, 20 million pound centre-half already, doesn't he? So, you know, good business by Liverpool so far, by the looks of it. Yeah, I think uh, one of the big tests on Saturday was as well, when he when he was left one-on-one on the second, in the second half with Vardy and he seemed to deal with his pace, didn't he? He just shut him out and took the ball off him. So that was a big worry for me on Saturday if Joe Matif did have the pace to deal with someone like him, but he did do well. Do you know what? I don't think it's yeah, he's actually got a lot of pace. I just think his legs are that long that his stride is like yes. two of what Jamie Vardy's was. Yeah. He's got feet like flippers, hasn't he? He must be yeah. a size 12 or something. Steve Niffle's... Um, trying to promote his book, isn't he, now at the moment, and he, he had like, size 12 feet, I think it was, and massive looks like he's got flippers on, but um, no, he, he does look very good, you know what I mean, you can't complain, but it's going to be a big test on Friday night, because we all know how physical Diego Costa can be, and he likes to have a little bit of a tussle, doesn't he, so let's see what happens there with that one. Yeah, cheers Jay. Okay, yeah, going back to, your, to yourself, Gary, uh, what's your hopes and, and your expectations for Chelsea this season? What what sort of uh, ending to the season would you be happy with? I think just from Chelsea's perspective, the fact that they didn't even get into the Europa League this year, that's how bad it was for them last season. And they just need to get back in the Champions League. That's the first and foremost, really. That, that's the target they need. They need the top four. I think, you know, that that's what the club, in you know, especially in the Rome of Bramford area, has, has marketed itself as being a Champions League club, being an elite club. So, you know, that, that, that's what they need. I think that, the fact they're not in Europe this year is, is a good thing for, for many different reasons, namely because it, it's given them a bit of a reality check and that they've realised they can't continue the way they were. Uh, but they just need to get back in the Champions League. It's, it's the same as for Liverpool, isn't it? You know, it's two massive clubs that aren't even in Europe this season. But I think that's the, 
the point I was going to say earlier, just about these two teams that you look in, it's frightening really for the rest of the Premier League that you've got you know such a a well-regarded manager in Jurgen Klopp and he's got Monday to Friday to work with his players at, at Liverpool and the, the same with Conte at Chelsea that these two sides, while United and City are, are you know hassling about in Europe and um, Arsenal as well, Liverpool and Chelsea are going to you know, are going to be resting up and working on tactics and. You know, refining the roles of players, introducing the players they've signed in the summer over the course of the season. So, I think you know, especially for Chelsea, they just need to get back in the Champions League. I think that looking at it as the bigger picture, I think it's it's still difficult to say whether Chelsea are going to be um, title contenders. You know, genuinely, I think that they bottomed out so much last season that they've got to do a lot to get that trust back, where you can actually say confidently that they are going to go ahead and. Um, Challenge United and City are looking like the, the two early favourites. I think you know overall getting into the top four and um, d- doing well in the League Cup and the FA Cup is is the bare minimum, really. Excellent, yeah. Gary. Yeah, what's your thoughts on uh, the signing of N'Golo Kante? Obviously, he had a fantastic season for Leicester last season, doesn't he? I watched the game on um, against Swansea and and he seemed to just fit in there seamlessly alongside. I think it was was it Matic. And to me, he just looked like he, he was the same player he was for Leicester last season, breaking everything up, playing simple passes up and down the pitch. He just looked he looked apart again. Yeah, he's exactly what Chelsea needed. And um, I think by signing him, that um, obviously he was, was flavour of the month, as it were, because of the season that he had. I think if you look at the way Conte's using him, is that he's bringing the best out of Oscar and Matic because Chelsea are playing this 4-1-4-1 at the moment. And... By having Kante in there, it's allowing Matic and Oscar to play a little bit further forward. And, you know, Chelsea have now this attacking four behind um, Costa. And Kante so energetic and reads the game so well that he's able to cover, you know, clean up a lot of the loose balls in, in, the, in the hole. And um, he, he can just fill that role perfectly. And if you look at the way Oscar's playing now, Chelsea aren't playing for number 10 anymore, which is what Oscar's role used to be. The number 10's gone and Oscar's playing like the number on the back of his shirt, like a number eight. He's not exactly box-to-box in the way that we've seen, you know, from Frank Lampard down the years at, at Chelsea, but he's, he's operating a different way. And you look at the early season form of him, you know, he's certainly bringing the best out of him. So Kante not only has, um, has offered a bit of stability in that, in that midfield area for Chelsea, that his presence alone, by allowing Chelsea to play a certain way, has suddenly brought players out of Matic and Oscar again that we, you know, in May, we, we thought Matic and Oscar were, were gone at Chelsea. You know, there was the, the belief that those those two had been shipped out, and there was going to be a massive clear out. But by bringing Kante in, he, he's rejuvenated their careers, and they're looking like totally different players. What I noticed is that Conte he's fitted in William, um, Oscar, Hazard, Fabregas in, all into the same into the same attacking lineup, which which Mourinho never did. Or one of them was always on the bench, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right, and I think that was the the biggest concern or the biggest disappointment, should I say, last season is that Chelsea was so inactive in the transfer market that they could only set up one way and they didn't have any strength coming off the bench. They allowed too many players to go on loan early. You know, they, they really suffered for it. Whereas, whereas now you look at it and against Swansea, you've got Cesc Fabregas come off the bench. You know, you've got Victor Moses. I know he didn't do much when he was on loan at Liverpool a couple of years ago, but for what Chelsea need, him as a squad player to come on for the last 20 minutes to to really maintain the tempo that Conte likes his team to play at is perfect. You, we, we've seen that's why Chelsea scoring his late goals because they've got players like uh, Moses coming on and Batshuayi that are able to maintain those levels of intensity, and defenders can't handle it because you've got these players that have been playing for you know the best part of seventy minutes being run ragged, and then 
the fresh legs come on, they just keep pushing them back and back, which is why you're seeing Chelsea score these late goals at the moment, because obviously the, the fitness comes into it. But also it's a tactic from Conte in that he's got certain players on the bench now to give him so much more depth that not only is he playing a different system, he's got the reserves to bring on that can actually maintain Chelsea playing that way for 90 minutes. Yeah, cheers, Gary. Nice on, Gary. Yeah, just want to go back over to Jay and uh, talk about these ever-bright rumours with Liverpool Football Club. Are they interested, Jay? And if so, will it be a full takeover or just a percentage stake in the club? You know what? To be perfectly honest with you, I, I just can't see FSG selling the, the whole of the club. Um, I think what it's more likely to be that they'll, they'll have a major stake in the club. There's definite interest there. There's no doubt about it. There's no way someone like Jonathan Norcroft would put his name to an article to, to, you know, to basically say that there is interest from the Chinese. But as regards a full takeover, I just can't see it because, you know, when FSG got Liverpool, they basically rescued us and they only paid 300 million for us to get the club. Now, I mean, I think we're valued at a billion and something like that now. But FSG, if they were to sell the club, they'd want a lot more than that, you know what I mean? They'd want somewhere in excess of 1.3 million or something. And I just don't think the Chinese would value Liverpool at that because we're only, we're only really worth a billion. But like I say, if they come on board, I mean, I don't really know how it would change things because I think with some of our fans, they get a little bit carried away and think, oh, do you see all these other clubs spending 50, 60, you know, United 90 million on Pogba? And do you think that Liverpool are going to do that if the Chinese take over? I don't think that would be the case in all honesty. And I don't really think someone like Jürgen Klopp would would like that style, if you know what I mean. I mean, if you go back to, to January, Liverpool were close to signing Alex Teixeira and he had the, the final say, basically, and we were going to pay £36 million for him. And Klopp analysed it and just, you know, basically walked away and said, no, he's not worth that type of money. And this summer, yeah, OK, we signed Mane for £34 million and people raised a few eyebrows at the start of the transfer window and thought, you know, that seems a lot of money. But then as the transfer window went on, when you look back now, £34 million is absolutely nothing when you consider Everton have paid £28 million for Balassi. And let's be honest, we've all spoken about it with Pogba, I mean, OK, you look at United, they generate a hell of a lot of money. I understand that, I take that on board. But you watch that Manchester derby on the weekend there, and Paul Pogba certainly didn't look like a £90 million player, did he? And they've certainly paid £30 or £40 million over the odds there for him, and you know, fair play, that's what they wanted to do and that's what Mourinho wants to do and they've gone and done it. But, you know, like I say, I think Jürgen Klopp's always the type of manager. If you look at his record when he was at Dortmund, he's a lot more savvy with his money. And I know it's not his money, it's the club's money, but I don't think he put us on a bump steer at all and he wouldn't pay over the odds for any footballer if he didn't think it was value for money. And in this current market, you're not really getting that very often, are you? Like I say, there's, there's genuine interest there and I do think there will be a major stake in the club sooner or later further down the line. But you know, these things take time and you know, as you know from past experience, due diligence and all that takes a while as well. But like I say, I can't see them taking full control. If, if it was to happen maybe a few years down the line, but certainly not in the next 6 to 12 months. Cheers, Jay. Yeah, just staying with yourself, Jay. There was... Um... There was a few rumours flying around last night. A couple of people sent me a couple of messages on Twitter asking about the Sacco situation. Um, some people were saying that there's, there's supposedly a clause in his contract which which states that he has to pay, play 10% of the games uh, for Liverpool in, in any said season. So, do you know anything about that? 
I don't, to be honest, and I think it'd be a, a pretty strange clause to have in his contract, don't you? I mean, you know, the, yeah. the, the manager has got the right to pick and choose whatever players he sees fit in his squad, and it's quite clear to see, you know, Klopp was not impressed with what happened the back end of last season over all of the, the drug allegations, and I know he's being cleared, but, you know, it was very costly to Liverpool because at that moment in time, Sacco and Dejan Lovren basically had struck up a decent pair in the centre-half and Liverpool were flying and, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, you know, you can't blame the lads for us losing the Europa League final to Seville. It's just one of them things, but I don't think it's gone down too well with Klopp and when he's come back pre-season and he's been cleared and he can play and he's been trained, he went on the tour and what have you, when he was still had a little bit of an injury, He's quite clearly shown a lack of professionalism and Klopp's identified it and thought, no, I can't be having you around this group of players when you're not even training properly with us. So go back and do your rehabilitation at Melwood and that's what he's done. And, you know, he's obviously come out and said, you know, you're not going to get much game time here at Liverpool between now and January, so you might as well go out on loan. And there's two ways of looking at it, isn't he, with, with Sacco? It's, you know, maybe he's. He thought, no, I really love this club and I want to, you know, knuckle down and prove to the manager that I'm worthy of getting a starting place in the team. Or there's another way of looking at it where he's thought, well, why do I want to go to someone like West Brom or Stoke or, you know, a mid-table English team? So it just depends how you look at it, really. I mean, I, I'm not convinced and I never have been going back to when we had Skater last season. I've never been convinced by any of Liverpool centre-halves. I include Dejan Lovren in that, who has probably been Liverpool's best centre-half since Jürgen Klopp took over in October, but he's still laced with loads of defensive errors. You know, Skirtle had definitely seen better days and he was the time was right for him to move on. And, you know, you look at Sacco, again, he's, he's never convinced me. I know he's got the, the fans out there who think he's a beast and he's like this top-class centre-half, but in my opinion, he's simply not. You know what I mean? He makes far too many mistakes and gives the ball away far too, you know, in dangerous areas. I mean, people will go on, oh, he's got great passing accuracy. But you, I tell you what, he doesn't have to put the midfield players and the full-backs under pressure with his heavy balls into them. And, you know, like I say, that's an observation I've had of him in his whole Liverpool career, really. And it's obvious that, you know, the manager before, Rodgers noticed it a little bit in him and didn't select them all the time. And the same applies with Jürgen Klopp as well, because he's not selecting them all the time. So, you know, two managers can't be wrong, in my opinion. But then you look at Matip now and Clavin. And again, you know, Matip looks looks really good, as we touched on before, but it's too too soon to judge him. Clavin looked quite good in pre-season. When it's come to the real games, he struggled a little bit, and now he's obviously had a little bit of an injury too at the weekend. Lucas has to fill in there. I do think centre-half is an issue for Liverpool, you know, the same way as the goalkeeping area is an issue too. But as I say, going back to Sacco, it's just a strange situation. I mean, like I say, I don't totally dislike the lad. I just don't think he's as good as what some of our fans think that he is. But um, it is a strange scenario where he's been told to go out on loan. He hasn't gone out on loan. He's still at the club. But regarding the te- like the clause in his contract, I just think it's a little bit bizarre, to be honest. And it's all down to Jürgen Klopp. If he wants to select him, he will. If he doesn't, then he certainly won't. Excellent. Cheers for that, Jay. Okay, then, lads, what we're going to do now is head over to the the quiz part of the show. Five questions each. Peter's going to take the questions for Jay, and I'm going to do the questions for Gary. While Chelsea are the home side, 
in this game on Friday. Gary will get the, the first question, and then we'll head over to Jake. So, first question for yourself, Gary. Are you ready, mate? Can I just ask, what, so whoever wins, is it they win the three points on Friday, is it? Well, there's a little tale behind that, Gary. Actually, like the majority of podcasts that we do, it's usually the... The team who lose in the podcast always win the game. That's right, yeah. The, team, the person that loses the podcast usually wins the game. So right, I'm going to have to use that as my excuse for some bad <laughs> So we'll see how it goes anyway. Plus three out of the four last have gone to tiebreaker questions, so we'll, um, we'll see how that goes. First question for yourself, Gary. Who scored the most goals in the Premier League last season for Chelsea from Cesc Fabregas, Pedro or Eden Hazard? Pedro. Straight in there, Pedro. Good answer, mate, yeah? Correct. Right then, Jay, your question is, who scored the most goals for Liverpool last season from Jordan Anderson, James Milner and Alberto Moreno? James Milner. Good answer, mate. Yeah, James Milner five, Moreno four, Henderson two. Good stuff, Jay. Second question for yourself, Gary. From which club did Chelsea sign Marcus Alonso? Fiorentina. Good answer, Paul. Yeah, that's two for you. Right then, Jay. From which club did Liverpool sign Marco Grujic from? Red Star Belgrade. Another good answer. Two two. Yeah. You're going to need a tiebreaker at this, right? Yeah. It's looking that way again, isn't it? <laughs> um, right. Fair question for yourself, Gary. Last season for Chelsea, who started the most Premier League games from? Branislav Ivanovic, Cesar Azpilicueta or Willian? Willian. It's the first one you've got wrong, pal. It was actually oh, Azpilicueta. I did think that when it came up, but I thought he Willian had 36. the entire of the year. 36 starts, William 32 and Ivanovic 33. So your man Dave was uh, top there. Right then, Jay. Who started the most Premier League games last season out of Mamadou Sarko, Jordan Anderson or Daniel Sturridge? Uh, Sarko. Yep, good answer, 3-2. 3-2 to Jay, right. Fourth question for you, Gary. Which international team does Azmir Begovic represent Bosnia and Herzegovina good answer that's three apiece and Jay's got his fourth question now right then Jay which international side does backup goalkeeper Alex Manninger represent Austria another good answer mate 4-3 Jay's flying here 4-3 last question you need this to stay in the game uh... I feel like John Terry in Moscow 2008 yeah <laughs> I hope you've got your uh, your studs in uh, well, I don't know to win it, but still. Actually, you know what? Rather more apt, probably the uh, UEFA Champions League semi-final, was it 2007 when Liverpool won on penalties? Oh, yeah. Dirt count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a nice reminder for that one, us guys. Okay, <laughs> yeah. then. In a one-all draw at Anfield last season, who scored the goal for Chelsea in that game? Eden Hazard, and he beat about seven Liverpool players to do it. He certainly did. It was a great goal, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I had to get that in there. Right, Jay. Right Final then, spot kick. Cop end. Here we go. To win it. Who scored two out of the three goals at Stamford Bridge last season for Liverpool? In a 3-1 win. Got it on the Jason Coutinho. 
correct. 5-4 to Jay. Liverpool winner. Jay took the penalty. That's not a good thing, though. No, it's not. You should have had that wrong, Jay. No, that's absolutely, that's absolutely fine, Jay. Um, we can always buck the trend, can't we? So, well done, Jay. Five out of five there on the question. Just one wrong for you there, Gary. Unlucky pal. I remember those goals from Coutinho as well. It was excellent that day. The one right on half time was an absolute beauty. Yeah, it certainly was. It was a, it, it was an absolutely good big performance from Phil that, that game as well, if I can remember rightly. Yeah, okay. he had a really good game, really good player. Spot on, guys. Okay, cheers. Just before we leave, what we're going to do now is just play our unsigned band. And these guys are a Liverpool band from the Bootle area. I'll just leave, read the little uh, bio that they sent me about themselves. The lads are called Hegarty. They are describe themselves as the masters of Scouse country rock from the working class town of Bootle in Liverpool. They have gigged around Liverpool since around 2014, receiving positive views and feedback from each gig from their ever-growing following. They have released a four-song EP of early recordings, which has so far received a 5 out of 5 star rating on iTunes and has had excellent reviews from the music bloggers. Hegarty consists of five band members. They are David Hegarty on vocals, rhythm guitar, Ian Igger Cousins, lead guitar, Chris Keo McKeown on bass guitar, Wacker Stafford on the drums, Alex Tweedle on the piano and the keyboard. Formed in 2014, tonight I'm going to play a song by them called I Only Dream by Hegarty. to end the show thanks very much Jay and thanks very much Gary for coming on the Cop Table podcast of the Chelsea preview yeah thanks for having me on you're very welcome Gary yeah I'd like to have you back on the show again at some point in the future as well mate yeah it'd be, be, be great to come on um, hopefully it'd be a good game on Friday as well and um, be the right outcome thanks very much Gary and uh, thanks very much to yourself Jay once again yeah Sam that's been a pleasure and uh, you know, let's hope we can get a, a decent result at Chelsea on a Friday night won't be an easy game at all, will it? Because, you know, obviously it's a tough place to go, but you'd like to be, you know, Liverpool should at least get a point from the game. Spot on. OK, thanks to everybody uh, who's listened into the Cop Table podcast of the Chelsea preview game. We'll be back next week with the, the preview of the whole City game at Anfield the following week. From the Cop Table podcast, thank you very much. Good night. Glory round the fields of Anfield.